everybody, and welcome to Best Seat on the Couch, the podcast where we discuss how delicious dinosaurs might have tasted. My name is Alex. I'm Iris. I'm Marcus. And I'm Michael. And today, we are talking about the animated feature film, The Land Before Time. Directed by Don Bluth, the film premiered in November 1988 and takes place during the Age of the Dinosaurs, following Littlefoot, a young sauropod called Longnecks in this film, who gets separated from his family on their migration to the Great Valley, a land that is overflowing with green food. Along the way, Littlefoot meets up with the other young dinosaurs, Sarah, Ducky, and Spike, as well as Petrie the pterosaur, and they soon band together to journey to the Great Valley. But soon the group is threatened not only by the menacing sharp tooth, but also by their own disagreements from within. The film was met with positive reviews, grossing $84 million on a $12 million budget, with critics praising the story's emotional depth, music, and animation, and has since spawned a franchise which includes 13 direct-to-video sequels, a, tele- a television <laughs> series, video games, and merchandise. And as always, there will be spoilers. I appreciate that you you listed Petrie as not a dinosaur. Oh, I I was I knew that if I didn't, you would have called me out, Iris. I because I yeah, would have. Yeah. Now you, so, you you essentially keep each other honest, I guess. So exactly. Yeah, Petrie's so, not a dinosaur. That, they're a flyer. They are they are a flyer. That's <laughs> true. Yeah, the flyers, the sharp tooths, the although at the beginning the was mouths, a faller, the right? He's a horns. faller, not a flyer. Well, no, actually, Ducky <laughs> says you are a. Uh, actually, wait, does Ducky say flyer not a follower or flyer not a flyer? Well, Either way, Toy Story totally stole it from them. So, <laughs> all right. Well, I brought this film to the podcast because it had come to my attention that nobody else in this podcasting group had ever watched Land Before Time before, and. Honestly, I think that's a bit of a travesty. So I had to bring this because Land Before Time was probably, if not for Wallace and Gromit, probably the most watched movie uh, in my childhood. I think I've watched this at least 20 times um, just because it was... I mean, that's what you do as a kid. You latch on to a show or a movie or a piece of media and just like continually watch it because you don't know other things exist (laughs) when you're a a young kid. But um, I was, in my youth, a so-called dinosaur kid. (laughs) So I loved dinosaurs. I loved, uh, well, for one, Barney the Dinosaur was my jam ages zero to two. But... I remember there. The, I have distinct memories of going with my dad to the library, and he would like post up at a table, take out his laptop and work, um, while I got to run loose in the library and read um, a lot of different books that I just found, and I gravitated towards the dinosaur section every single time. And while I couldn't understand the uh, jargon-heavy text in these large tomes, and these books probably weighed like a third of the size of five-year-old Alex, 
I loved looking through the dinosaur pictures and just like imagining T-Rex and Triceratops duking it out 65 million years ago. It's also part of the reason why I watched Walking with Dinosaurs and other dinosaur media. And Land Before Time, like I said, holds a really special place in my heart because it was, uh, I think upon re-watching it, I was transported immediately back to my childhood because I was able to remember pretty much everything that happened in this movie once I started rewatching it. And just the music, uh, especially that sort of ethereal uh, music that plays right at the beginning uh, in the opening scene, is so recognizable to me. And upon rewatching this film, I think I still really like it. Um, not only for nostalgia purposes, but also I think it has a pretty good message. Uh, and that's not really seen too often in kids' movies um, recently, uh, nowadays. And while it does have some flaws, I can recognize that it is um, pretty short there's not, like, too much meat if we really dive into this movie. I still think it's pretty special. I mean, it came out in 1988, and for what it does, it has its message, it has its morals, it has some great animation, um, some beautiful music, and it uh, sets out to do what it planned to do. And so, yes, I will stand by this film uh, probably for the rest of my life. I'm, if I do have kids, I'm probably going to show them this movie because I, I love it so much uh, and I want uh, other people to experience it as, as I did when I was a kid. But uh, what about the rest of y'all? This is your very first foray to the land before time. So what did you all think about this movie? Uh, all right, I'll go first. And uh, I'm very sorry to do this to you. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I knew it. Get the conflict started early. I, honestly, it's not even that it was that bad. Um, <laughs> it was very hard to watch this movie because I kept falling asleep. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know why. I, I watched this movie yesterday and I've already forgotten most of it. Um, I know. It's 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 I'm I'm being a little rough. Um Uh-oh. maybe I was tired also. That I mean that could also be the case. Obviously. Um but uh, okay, let's let's look at this from a slightly objective perspective. Um I actually don't mind the runtime uh because it had a story that it wanted to tell and it told it in the amount of time that it needed to. I'm totally fine it, it didn't go longer, honestly. Um <laughs> and like I think it was a fair amount of time. Um it took a little long getting to the point, if that makes sense. Um, mostly because, like, so, okay, so, right, so, so obviously, uh, other than the very clear uh, enemy that is Sharptooth, this is a story about, you know, a group of kids, I guess, um, coming together, uh, mainly through the lens of Littlefoot and Sarah, right? And so, I actually really enjoyed... The first little bit that we get between them when 
first they're with their families and Sarah is told like, hey, the three horns don't play with the with the long necks and stuff like that. Um, and then I really like the moment where they actually do start playing together and then the shit hits the fan, per se. There was this section in the middle, though, where like it it kind of I, I understand what they're trying to go for that, like Sarah doesn't have like the 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 capacity to trust and to and to uh um like ha- like she she doesn't have the ability to let go of her pride and and stuff like that and you know there's not there's not much to expect about a very young kid like sarah is um and so we learn through the course of this movie how sarah matures to you know helping or getting help from others as well as helping others as well right I get that. I understand that that's like the message of this movie to a certain extent. It just felt very boring. Um, I understand. <laughs> I, I know. Like you know, it's always hard to say because we're not the target audience of this movie right now, obviously. Um, but even with that, it felt very like it, it felt it felt very slow. Um, maybe because they were dinosaurs and they're slow, I guess. I don't know. I'm making a joke. <laughs> now, hold on. I, it's a bad joke. It's a bad joke. Um, also, wait, what? Dinosaurs are slow? What? Yeah, they walk slow. They're too, they're really big. Anyway. Oh, well, well, hold on. Let's, let's not, <laughs> let's not start this conversation. Anyway. Now. Anyway. Otherwise, we're never going to stop. Um, yeah. The, I honestly don't have a lot of thoughts about the movie because I've mostly <laughs> forgotten it, which is a problem. Again, this is not a this is not this is the me problem because this is not like I'm this not the intended audience. I'm not the intended audience for this movie. I get that. I get it. It's fine. But uh yeah. Well, well. <clears throat> well. Uh, well. Well. Uh I'll I'll go first, Tyrus, if you don't mind. Please. Um I I too consider myself not the target audience of this movie. Um <laughs> and you have heard me speak about how much I fucking yeah. hate children. I was actually thinking, oh, yeah. I was thinking the whole time, like, Marcus is going to have, like, a field day. I don't believe I've ever, like, Sarah is is written specifically to be extremely self-centered and, like, pushy and, like, the kind of annoying kid on the, on the playground that, like, has that kind of bitchy attitude, even though you wouldn't call a kid bitchy at that age. But uh, that made it very hard to watch for me. Marcus, um, I absolutely believe that you would call a kid bitchy at that <laughs> yeah, I, absolutely, I absolutely would. If I had a kid, I probably would call my own kid bitchy at some point. Damn. Jesus. Damn. <laughs> I, you know, future court adjudicators in the separation <laughs> trial, evidence one. Piece of evidence label A. Like, damn. Oh, jeez. You're right. Um, all that being said, though. Uh, I do, I can't appreciate this movie for what it is, and I can appreciate it, you know, if, if I was able to picture myself being, you know, when you watched it, Alex, when you were zero to two years old, or however young you were when you watched it, I can appreciate that this movie is actually paced fairly well. I, like, obviously it's definitely slow, and it, it's basically just one kind of slow buildup with very occasional, like, flashes of fast-paced action slash the sharp tooth chasing after but in terms of what it like in terms of how a kid would watch it i think that actually works very well they're you know kind of led into the story very like smoothly a lot of movies these days will open up with 
like big action scenes or something like that. A lot of kids' movies too will do that. Kind of like a, a huge rising slash falling action in the first fifteen minutes to grab the person's attention and then kind of develop the story once that attention's been grabbed. This movie doesn't pretend to, you know, do that. This movie just kind of introduces the concept, says Littlefoot is born, parents are important, now parent dies. Go forth, little foot, <laughs> and do your thing. Go find the Great Valley. Make new friends along the way. And I think that's honestly pretty cool. For like, for, to, to look at it from a kid's perspective, I think that's pretty cool. Um, and uh, I think that that makes the, the ending of the movie all that more triumphant. You know, they finally reach the Great Valley, and Littlefoot says something along the lines of, like, we did it, we did it together. Like, he emphasizes that, you know they wouldn't have made it without the individual contributions of each one of their quote-unquote party members that are added to to the uh, to the group as they <laughs> continue to move in, uh, across the valley. So I it it I suppose if I were a bit more like emotionally uh not not like in tune with my emotions but just like more emotionally disposed to be emotional that's a very poor way of putting that but I don't, I don't think about movies that way, but I can picture myself thinking about a movie that way. And if I did, I think that it would be a pretty good movie. And I would have, like, maybe perhaps a little bit enjoyed it at the ripe old age of 27. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's, uh, it was certainly hard for me to watch. I will say that, Alex. And while I am happy to have watched it, I will not watch it or any of the 13 sequels ever in my life <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's fair uh i mean now i'm i'm getting the sense that um this film probably is best viewed if you are like a young kid because while your assessment of sarah is well objectively from our point of view as 20 whatever year olds um we can see that as annoying, but I do appreciate the fact that um, these kid characters actually act like little kids. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because big ups, big ups to that. They're voiced because by at, little kids. They're you know not voiced by adults. Literal kids yeah. voice them. Yeah, and as a kid watching this film, I could immediately like relate and latch on to these uh these people in the the movie because they were at the time my peers and i really do appreciate how well these children are represented in this film and how we have like a wide spectrum of different personality types um separated sort of between each of the dinosaurs um but yeah it's i think there is that dissonance between um are viewing it as adults versus um, viewing it as kids as well. And I'll add that, like, in a lot of ways, you can, you, you can like, it might be unfair for me to treat this movie this way, but there are a lot of kids' movies that I think have, that do age kind of well along with the audience, you know? Like, you can watch a kids' movie as an adult and still find things to enjoy about it. This movie, I think, definitely does not fit that bill. I think that if you're an adult, it's very hard to relate to a lot of what the message and the the actions of the movie come through. Whereas other, you know, kids movies are, they have those kind of qualities that feel like, almost like they were written, well, I mean, 
it doesn't sound so surprising when you say it this way, but like they were written for the parents, which makes sense because the parents bring the kids to the movie theater or whatever. But um, this movie was felt like it was written for kids and like written, you know, like almost designed in a way to only be for kids, which is definitely something to commend, definitely something to point out. Maybe not for everybody, certainly not for me, but uh, I can see the the plus side of that. So first of all, damn, Marcus, you wait this long to talk every single week. (laughs) Uh, No, but but in all seriousness, um, I'll paraphrase what I said to Alex after we finished watching this movie, which... You know, it was a it was a whole thing, right? Because you know, it's the first time I'm seeing it, and he's you know seen it a bajillion times. It's one of his uh, favorite films from his childhood. This is kind of, actually, you know, this was kind of like your Aladdin three, The King of Thieves, a little bit. Here's what I'll say. Here's and here's what I said about this movie. The pacing is absolutely horrendous. The scene transitions are like an afterthought at best. The character development is non-existent. And goddamn, did I love this movie. <laughs> what a... What? what? I, I am baffled myself, right? And I think a lot of it comes down to, you know, despite all my... Uh, hesitancy with you know liking sarah uh I, you know obviously we all found her annoying in sort of similar ways although i did find myself in the moment being like oh wh- wow that is like actually what a kid <laughs> you know acts like and it makes perfect sense that she would be acting this way uh you know based on like the archetype of the character that she's written after and what we see with her dad teaching her to you know hate all the other dinosaurs early on um I think, honestly, a lot of it was just I found it really fucking cute. And I really loved watching these little adorable goobers, like, get into danger and get out of danger. And I also really think that, because you've, you've all been talking about how this is a story about a bunch of kids coming together in order to overcome a great hardship, a great difficulty, uh, you know, the journey to the Great Valley. And that's absolutely true. But this is also a story about loss. This is a story about dealing with grief and overcoming the death of a loved one, right? I mean, in some ways, you can compare this movie to Bambi, right, of a different generation. Like, the fact that, you know, oh, Littlefoot's mom dies. Like, everyone knows that. I knew that. I'd never seen this movie or any of the 72 sequels, and (laughs) I knew that Littlefoot's mom died. So it wasn't a surprise to me when it happened. It wasn't a surprise to me before it was going to happen. And yet, I found some of it to be really profound in a way that is accessible to kids, right? They don't go, like, very, very deep into philosophizing you know they don't uh there's not like a an intense like struggle of you know survivor's guilt or you know what have you it's it's not nuanced this discussion of death such that a young child couldn't understand it but the depiction of grief that it keeps coming back and yet that his memories of his mother are a source of strength for him the way he uses the tree star as this kind of guiding literally a guiding star actually uh, to 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 bring him forward on his journey of survival. The advice he gets from, I believe his name was Old Rooter. Uh, I want to talk about that. Old, yeah, Old Rooter scene. is absolutely fantastic. And if it's your favorite scene, I'll let you have it. But I I I just love the way that they they depict it plainly and you know without 
trying to hide anything from the kids that are watching it. I love the just sort of no-nonsense, yes, it's terrible, it's a tragedy, and it's nobody's fault. And all we can do is pick ourselves up and remember them and keep on going. Um, I think it does a really fantastic job of, of talking about death and, 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 you know, introducing a whole generation of little kids to the idea of death. And also they're really fucking cute. So I guess my overall take is that I can see the flaws. I can see, you know, the many shortcomings that this movie has. But I I found myself having a good time regardless. Would I watch it again on an average, you know, Sunday afternoon? Probably not. But I'm glad to have watched it this time. Who, who's Ruder? Sorry. Ruder well, is the dude. Well, why don't I talk yeah, about Yeah, actually, you, you go right for it. Why don't I talk about Ruder? Uh, because, Iris, I think you've... You've mentioned a good chunk of the talking points I wanted to ta- uh, talk about, but I'll go more in depth. Um, so, let's start with our favorite scenes and favorite characters. Um, and I'll start first. So, my favorite scene and character, I'll roll up into one so that we don't uh, we don't bump elbows when we're talking about different scenes in this short movie. But uh, it is the scene right after Littlefoot's mother dies. And so after his mother gets attacked by the sharp tooth and she tells him to go to the Great Valley, uh, past the mountains that breathe fire, um, you'll, you'll know where to go, it'll be in your heart, yada, yada, yada. Um, there's this really short one-minute scene where Littlefoot is walking around, um, not really knowing where he's going, not really knowing what to do. And he stumbles down this cliffside onto another dinosaur. And the dinosaur is like this old sort of cantankerous uh, dinosaur. And he's like, what's what's the matter? Why are you crying? It's like, you don't need to cry. Um, and Littlefoot, um, I think he says like, it's all her fault. Uh, why did oh, she? Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, she's like, why did she? Why did she leave me? Or why did she have to go? And then, I, I love this change that comes over uh, old Rooter, which is this dinosaur. He goes from being this like surly um, old coot to somebody who is there to like give really like nuanced and kid appropriate advice to Littlefoot about the nature of death, about how, like you said, Iris, it's no one's fault. Uh, it's not his mother's fault that she died. It's not his fault that he died. And that not everyone arrives together at the end of their journey. And it's such a it's such a well-crafted message about loss and about death that even as a kid I understood what was being said and I knew like the the conflicting emotions that Littlefoot was feeling during that moment he was angry at the fact that his mother died he was torn apart he was sad and at the end of this scene um Littlefoot um, 
after being reminded that his mother will be with him, like in his heart, in uh, his spirit, in his memories, um, Littlefoot, I think, mentions something that's like, I, I, my stomach hurts. And then Ruder says, well, that too will pass in time. And it's such a nice ending to this message that, yes, it might hurt now, but these things pass. And whether or not we will it, we keep moving on and we keep going. And it's such a nice breath of fresh air among these uh, other sort of questionable um, kids e scenes that I feel like a lot of people uh, latched onto that. Even adults who would w- be watching this movie would have um, like synthesized perhaps that way of talking about death to their kids. Um, and I'm only look- reading now um, in the trivia section of the Wikipedia page that this uh, character, Old Rooter, was put into this movie at the uh, suggestion of psychologists who suggested adding this character to soften the blow of Littlefoot's mother's death in the hands of Sharptooth. So I think it's it's such an intelligent way to to bookend this, this really traumatic scene of Littlefoot's mother dying. And so, yeah, he's my favorite character, and that is my favorite scene. Um, but what about the rest of y'all? What are your favorite characters and favorite scenes? So, favorite scene, I'm going to actually start with before favorite character, because it kind of segues off of yours or into yours. And I don't actually remember whether this is, like, shortly before or shortly after Bruder. My favorite scene was, to me... It was the hardest gut punch, I guess, of the the early film, which was not when Littlefoot's mother died, but rather when Littlefoot thought he had found her again. And he's so excited. He's running up to her. He's finally calling out, Mama, Mama. And it's his shadow against the wall of the canyon. Right? And I think there's... First of all, a lot of like really nice symbolism there, right? How he is, you know, it's this difference of size of him, the memory of his mother, right? Uh, the like the space he has to fill, I guess the shoes he has to fill if dinosaurs wore shoes. Uh, you know, the 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 sheer just lack of her. There's obviously, you know, the oh kind of moment when you realize what it is he is seeing, just the the like uh like very direct emotional uh, gut punch of, yeah, he thought he saw his mom, but he's just a little kid. And, you know, he's desperately like running up and like licking the cave wall because he thinks it's her. And I think what I really like about that scene in a more zoomed out level, rather, you know, beyond just the, oh, wow, yeah, this, this hurts to watch, hurts so good. What I really like is that this movie's depiction of grief does not end with Ruder. Littlefoot's mother dies, and that is and continues to be a very important part of his struggle. You know, uh, she comes back more than a few times, uh, you know, in the in the visions and the, the, the very Lion King-esque visions, which we will also talk about later because I want to make sure to bring that up. But uh, the fact that it, it keeps going on, that we keep seeing moments like this where Littlefoot has to deal with the absence of his mother... Uh, it's just kind of a, 
I think it's a powerful moment, and I think it's an important moment, even if it may not seem like that from first glance. Uh, favorite character is easily and instantly Ducky. Uh, she's so fucking adorable. I love the way, like, her little, her little like, speech affectations, you know. Uh, no, I am not. Nope, nope, nope. Um, she's just the cutest fucking thing, and I want all the best things in the world for her. And I think she did a great job of counterbalancing the sourpuss that was Sarah. Uh, okay. So, favorites. I'll start with favorite character. And I'll warn y'all, this is mostly, like, again, I feel a little sad right now because I didn't get anything out of this movie. Uh, so I'm <laughs> oh, glad no. that you're able... Honestly, the the most emotional reaction to this movie I'm having is right now, you describing the scene to me. So thank you for that. Because um, I completely forgot. It. Anyway, um, my favorite character is Spike, just because I think he's hilarious. Yeah, he's, he's really fucking funny. He's really funny in the way that he is completely wordless and he somehow grows like three times when he gets when he has hatched from his egg and then at the end he's like three <laughs> times larger which is hilarious also um, like let's compare this you know to chicken little how to do a character <laughs> that doesn't speak doing it right and doing it wrong this imagine, is doing it right imagine spike just starts like singing songs and does oh my god memes. imagine what even, imagine what even qualifies as like a like a pop culture reference in 1988 freaking the flintstones um, theme yeah. i don't know <laughs> oh there's a michael jackson reference in there somewhere yeah, exactly. or maybe like some weird like like um beatles thing hmm. i don't yeah. know that's like that's like 20 years old so oh, exactly the, the that's parents, for the adults. right the, the parents would would appreciate it that doesn't make sense <laughs> Um, yeah, so I'll give it to Spike. Um, favorite scene. Um, my favorite scene is... <laughs> oh god, I just thought about it, and this is so bad. My favorite Uh-oh. scene is when Littlefoot's mom dies. Um, <laughs> I mean... A.K.A. the Earth Shake. Um, one, because I think that it is the one moment in this film, for me personally, that I found that the animation was very good. Um, the animation of the Earthshake was very, very good. Um, the way that so much of the screen kind of was violent and chaotic in how it was being presented. And at the same time, all of it was, you know, off the bookend of them uh, dropping sharp tooth down like a chasm or whatever. So there's this, like very fluid sort of pacing in that one particular part about the action that's going on there. Um, but also because... I think it did a good job of in actually like injecting stakes into the movie for me. Um, because I'll be honest, when I was, I had no, I, you know, no idea what this movie was even about. And so the, when I was watching the first 10 minutes, I'm like, is this a National Geographic documentary? <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's animated for some reason. And then they were like, okay, we have a care, a named character. Aha, this must be the thing we must latch on to. Littlefoot, I see. Um, this is like my android brain trying to latch onto things. Um, <laughs> and um, so, yeah, uh, I like the scene because it is like it is the instigator for all of the stuff that happens. So I'll, I'll make that my favorite scene. I'm going to be honest, because the pool of favorite characters that I can choose from that are kids <laughs> is basically limited to Littlefoot's mom and no one else. Sarah's dad. Also, Sarah's dad. But Sarah's is Sarah's dad. dad really like the kind of uh, character? Sarah's my favorite character is the sharp tooth. The best part <laughs> is the Littlefoot's mom. We root for predators in this podcast. I mean, uh, 
honestly, the sharp tooth, I thought the sound design around the sharp tooth was honestly kind of bad. Like, every time it would, like, roar and shit, it didn't sound like, well, this is the problem. I don't know, like, nobody really knows what a dinosaur's roar sounds like, but everybody yeah, let's, knows. Let's, 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 let's also remember that this came out before Jurassic Park. That's, I was about and to say. And let's also, like, else. remember that this came out, like, not that long after the asteroid impact theory, like, was even popularized, right? Like, what we're, what this movie is depicting is literally, like, the volcanism theory of the dinosaur's extinction, which is, like, you know, it, it it's, like, what, 34 years ago, 35 years ago now? Like, Science has come a long way since then. We can and, we can give it a little bit of slack. And like you know, a, a huge part of the funding that even went into you know dinosaur research as a whole came from Jurassic Park, and this movie predates that by a couple of years. So, like, did the, did the did the people who made this movie even know what the fuck they were talking about? <laughs> who fucking knows? I mean, given that it was Steven Spielberg who would then go on to direct. Jurassic Park. Park. Are you telling me Steven Spielberg is an archaeologist? Like a yeah, I'm dance, telling you that I, I'm telling you that I believe that it is not a coincidence that Steven Spielberg directed two dinosaur-themed movies within a handful of years of each other, yeah. and that very plausibly, expect- like some of the research that went into Jurassic Park had already begun. I don't think he spared any expense in his research. Oh my goodness! Steven Spielberg was a dinosaur kid too. Alex, you should feel proud of yourself. <laughs> um. So I guess I'll say Littlefoot's mom, even though I don't really think Littlefoot's mom was that good of a character either. Like, I think a lot of what she, a lot of the things that she said were profound. And I didn't, re- I, I didn't really feel like I vibed with anything that she said, to be completely honest. Like, I could recognize that it was profound. And maybe to a kid it would have been more profound because a kid's like, whoa, big words and shit. But I was not <laughs> able to find it. I was not able to emotionally connect to it. I guess I'll say that. Uh, I also want to bring uh, it to everyone's attention that upon this rewatch, I was f- uh, I was only on this most recent rewatch cognizant of the very faith-based sort of storytelling that was represented in this movie. It's very sort of... Uh, uh, it's almost like a... A crisis of faith um, story in this movie, because that's a good point. Yeah, we, and I just looked it up. Don Bluth said is is a Christian. I think he's a Christian, but he has been on the record saying that he designed this movie as like a gospel story. Some things you don't see with your eyes. Some things you see with your heart. Yeah, and we have this moment where uh, because Littlefoot is has been told the Great Valley exists somewhere, somewhere far, far beyond uh, where no other dinosaur has been before. kind of sounds and like a promised land if you think about it. Exactly. I mean, it's, yeah, it's literally... It, is this the sequel to Prince of Egypt that we've all been asking for? <laughs> the prequel. D-A-E, the Israelites and dinosaurs coexisted? <laughs> <laughs> Moses just but, pops up in the valley. What's up? Deliver. I, I mean, the, 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 we have a moment where, where Sarah's like, I'm gonna go the easy way, and uh, while Littlefoot's like, "No, I'm gonna the the Great Valley is over this way, and it's the harder route, and I believe that it exists, so I'm gonna go this way." And then he has to like go back and rescue them from uh, apparent, I guess you could say, damnation. <laughs> I mean, literally, <laughs> right? It's like in the volcano, the bubbling tar pits, and everything. Yeah. 
I will say. Yeah, but uh, sorry, if, uh, unless you're not done yet. Oh no, no, go ahead. I was gonna say to to the movie's credit, I do think that there is a little, a slightly, a little bit more going on there than just that, in the sense that they don't find the promised land until the group is together, right? So they only find the promised land once they've resolved their issues with Sarah, which I do think is the right choice. Like you don't, you don't reach the destination until the character arcs have been fulfilled. And, and I understand that basically there's wait, no this may be a character arcs. arcs. I think that Sarah is the <laughs> one exception. Sarah has a character arc because she goes, from yeah, that's not fair. That's fair. Yeah. She goes from not helping anyone, not wanting help from anyone to finally being like, I'll help. And then they help her. And yeah. then that's it. Right. Let's and the one time the that her headbutt actually does something. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> It, yeah, let's not also forget the scene where they're sleeping at night and yeah, yeah, um, yeah. they like Littlefoot's sleeping on his own and then Ducky I, comes over. That, okay, can I PG. can I talk about that scene real real fast? I'm really sorry. <laughs> yeah. That scene confused the hell out of me. What? They <laughs> did like confused? like like the, <laughs> I don't know I don't know what it is. Like did <laughs> I'm just imagining like okay, so what do we have? Right? We have a situation where Littlefoot and the gang is over here, right? And then the gang leaves Littlefoot and joins No, Sarah. no, 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 no. They were all eating together. They were all eating next to each other. Okay. And then Sarah and, leaves. And then, and then, and then Sarah didn't really, like, leave. She yeah, just, she did. like... She left to go <laughs> off to the cliff to sleep. Okay. <laughs> she she goes to sit down to sleep, and then the others, like, just kind of curl up around her. As the person who has watched this movie most time, more times than anyone here, I will describe the scene. <laughs> <laughs> so, after they finish eating, Sarah goes to sleep. Then, um, Littlefoot, uh, like, decides to sleep somewhere else because he and Sarah are are not vibing because uh, three horns do not sleep with long necks exactly and um all the other dinosaurs plus petrie uh head on over to sarah and littlefoot tries to like get in there to share the body warmth but he eventually is ousted and goes to the other side and then that's when ducky petrie and even spike comes in and then we see sarah be all cold and sad no, 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 no. but they 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 like sleep with sarah like for at least a few hours that was what? my yeah because it's not what? like there's <laughs> where a are you getting there. this from there's a cut there that implies Michael the past nothing time. in this movie but then they go back to littlefoot and littlefoot's all happy and then sarah is all cold and stuff i again what I, what about that implies hours no because there's a cut after they <laughs> cuddle with with Sarah, that's the whole thing. Alex, can we make this scene the recommended video for this podcast episode so <laughs> Listen, that people can determine for themselves? This is I I I will admit this is why I'm very confused. This scene makes no sense to me. <laughs> I understand what it's trying uh, to go for. Uh, it, the whole point of the scene is that this is like the budding part of their camaraderie, right? Yeah, but where did this camaraderie even come from? It's come from, sh- like, getting on this journey together. No, I yeah, understand. Yeah, traveling together and but saving each other's lives. I understand, but Sarah has done nothing to deserve this at this point. Now, now, that's, now, now you're speaking my language. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Okay, I understand. But no, 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 no. Consider this. 
Sarah is the only one of them who has been taught that she needs to exclude the other species. All the rest of them are like, yeah, you three horns, come on over, hang out with us. So when they all have their huddle eventually and Sarah comes over, none of them has been told by their parents to not let the three horn in. I understand that part. Yeah. I'm, ta- I'm talking about them, n- like not. So they had a choice, go to Littlefoot or go to Sarah. And they chose Sarah instead of Littlefoot. I don't think they put that much thought into it. What? It's, like it was literally right there. we will we will reconvene after taking a five minute break and watching this (laughs) no i'm kidding um yeah i don't know i don't know what to tell you michael what i will say since this is technically still part of my favorite scene (laughs) from like 10 minutes ago is that I'm not even going to bother trying to figure out what my fa- what favorite scene is because I feel like there are two points that are actually really interesting to talk about. The first, Iris, you alluded to earlier, which I also wanted to talk about, the Lion King comparison. Oh my god, I've just been, please, please let me say let me, things, let me, like, let me say the yeah. second thing and then we yeah. will lead into the first thing because I think I think there's a lot to talk about there and I think that mm-hmm. it, it's it's definitely interesting, especially since we, we have, we watched Lion King fairly recently too. So, like, that's still kind of fresh in our minds. And then the second thing I want to talk about, which was a little bit along the lines of what you were talking about, Alex, with the whole Crisis of Faith thing, there's a, there is definitely a twinge of, um, not like biblical storytelling style, but like there, there's a, there's a religious element to the way that this movie is constructed. And, Mm -hmm. In a way, that makes it a lot more nuanced that this is like a purely kids movie because they were able to take, you know, uh, a a subject that is, you know, traditionally very much not, uh, you know, along the vibe of kids and, you know, watered it down enough in some places and changed the way that the tone was in a couple other places to make it so that you could draw those kinds of conclusions uh, in a purely kids movie. Like, for example... Uh, you know, Prince of Egypt, which, is, which, which we just talked about, you know, that's very much not a kid's movie in the sense that the the intent of that movie was to be a an accurate retelling of the story or uh, as accurate as it could be to the source material. Right. So they they spent you know, they did not sugarcoat anything. And to be honest, a lot of what, you know, religious uh, a lot of religious material taught in schools also kind of leans that way they try not to sugarcoat things um to in a way almost kind of emphasize that like yes god does love you but he can also fuck people up but he does love you overall (laughs) just remember that he can also fuck you up and the fact that he loves you a lot means that he's not going to fuck you up unless you do something wrong and then he might fuck you up or he might just love you forever because he's a loving god except when he's not a loving god and he fucks you um, <laughs> And also, like, if, you know, if you go back, like, 2024 years, none of this applies, and the rules are entirely different. Yeah, right, yeah, this is, a, yeah, and then, yeah like, that, like, that god, you could even say is a completely different god, even though the same god, but they just have, like, a different personality and shit. What is god? <laughs> uh, Psych, everyone, this is a religious podcast yeah, now, we bait and switched Uh-oh. you for Dino- three years. Dinosaurs aren't real. <laughs> yeah. of, uh, do you have a a intelligent design to talk et cetera, about et our lord and savior jesus christ um, dinosaurs were created by steven spielberg for the film jurassic park i said it a kid definitely could believe that uh but in any case <laughs> let's launch into the into the um 
The Lion King. Oh, man. (laughs) There are so many parallels. And I was literally, like, listing them out loud, one by one, as the movie happened. And to be clear, I'm not saying, like... I know it might sound this way because I'm so much more familiar with The Lion King, so my discussion is going to be based around this is like The Lion King. I want to be clear, I know this came first. So if anything, The Lion King stole from this. But there's a lot of goddamn overlaps, right? I mean, you have Simba, Littlefoot, bright-hearted, uh... Like the 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 child of like the uh, the best and the biggest of the animals, who all the other animals come by to like witness him when he is born at the start of the movie. Three other animals, right? Not the whole herd. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about the other uh, long necks. I'm talking about all the different species, the random ass dinosaurs that come like crawling up and being like, "Oh my god, it's a little baby long neck." What? Right. That doesn't happen. Did you, yes, that does in the very beginning <laughs> of the film. Just his mom and the two grandparents. No, <laughs> Michael. <they're>, Michael, <laughs> you were asleep when you were watching this movie. I promise you that happened. Michael was asleep two minutes into the movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so all the animals come witness his birth. Right, we have Nala, Sarah. She's brash. She's hard headed. She, you know, has this like rivalry thing kind of <laughs> going on with with them, right? There's a whole lot of characters. You know, Ruder is obviously Rafiki, right? They've got the same calm, soothing voice. They've got the same, you know, elderly wisdom. The same sort of, you know, like sometimes bad things happen. And the way I see it, you can either. Uh, I don't remember Rafiki's exact line, but he he says something and you can run from it or live with it, or I, I think, along the lines of what he says to Simba. You have not one, but two scenes in this movie where Littlefoot is seeing his mother in, like, a pool of water or a cloud on the horizon and talking to her in the stars in the distance. Literally, directly, the Simba remember who you are scene. Early on, early on in the movie... Uh, Sarah and Littlefoot play where they're not supposed to. The mud bubbles, just like uh, Simba and Nala, play in the elephant graveyard. They run into the sharp tooth, i.e. the hyenas, which end up chasing them into a bramble patch, which they have to escape through because the larger creature can't follow them in through the thorns. Felt like a very weird thing with the bramble patch the first time the the sharp tooth shows up. It was like, huh, interesting. But again, this came first. And then eventually you find the the Timon and Pumbaa, right? And also Ducky, but this is stretching Ducky. it a bit. This is stretching it a bit. But like, come on. You know, the mother dies, the father dies, the kid has to like run away. There's a whole like, big journey. I feel like you're there's just... There's a lot of thematic and scene overlaps. I feel like you're, ta- you're describing the hero's journey. <laughs> <laughs> it's no it's more specific than the hero's journey because it's animals well because the brambles the brambles the animals coming to show up when you're born the seeing the dead parent in some kind of atmospheric phenomenon <laughs> <laughs> right like, like like meteorological Grief processing, Michael. How often do you see that? Listen, Kung Fu Panda has meteorological grief processing. (laughs) Yeah, but (laughs) Kung Fu Panda doesn't have a dead parent. Well, technically, he... Oh, well. 
<laughs> no, his dad's alive. His dad is very alive. No, his dad is is in a different part of the world. That's not his dad. <laughs> his adopted father. I, I know, it's I know. not it's your not, dad. I'm jesting at this point. I'm jesting. Holy shit! Are you saying that adoptive parents are not real parents, Michael? <laughs> hey, watch Kung Fu. I'm gonna straw man. He's trying no, to look for his real. I'm gonna dad, straw man so. the fuck out of you until you recant <laughs> your opposition to my stance. <laughs> What it's uncanny. That's <laughs> all I'm trying to say. It is uncanny. What I wanted to bring up is the one part where I think these diverge, which is the the treatment of the parents' death. Because I think Simba's journey on how after after uh, Mufasa dies, he he exiles and stuff essentially, but he does so more out of like. I'm not really sure if he blames himself. Well, it's hard for me to remember Lion King enough to say, like, Iris, you might be able to touch on this since you remember. I would say some combination of shame, guilt. Yeah, there's a little uh, bit, there's a little elements of shame and grief. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, you know, he's a sad boy. He goes over and then Timon and Pumbaa are like, what if you just forgot about it instead? And Simba's like, yeah, you know what? That makes me feel better already. So that's how he does it. And he, he just forgets about it. And then he has to go through the process of remembering that, like, hey, whoa, I actually fucked my home up when I, you know, let Scar take the throne and shit. And now I have to go back and overthrow him, hero's journey, yada, yada, yada. Um, this movie is different because there is no shame. There is no guilt. In fact, really what Littlefoot tries to do is blame the mom first. And that's more because he doesn't understand what is happening. Like, he doesn't mm-hmm. blame the mom mm-hmm. out of any sense of malice. He blames her because, like, why did she suddenly just decide to leave? Like, who does that to a child? And then, you know, of course, she didn't do that. But uh, that's why I think Old Rooter, in this particular case, and obviously, you know, Alex, you already talked about this, but, like, Old Rooter feels like even more of an important character in this movie than you gave it credit for, and you gave him a lot of credit to begin with. Like, Old Rooter allows Littlefoot to kind of see, like, you know, this is not anyone's fault. It's not your fault. It's not her fault. Things just mm-hmm. happen. And, like, time is going to pass. And as time passes, you're going to be sad a lot. But then, maybe one time, like, maybe in the future, far future, you'll be like, I'm not so sad anymore. Because I still remember my mom and she was cool. Um, and that's, like, that kind of message feels a lot more aligned with this movie's overall message, and that kind of makes sense. But it also feels like a better treatment of how death goes than for, like, a kid watching The Lion King. Because a kid watching The Lion King is going to be like, if I just pretend this didn't happen, and I get essentially distracted by two uh, hooligans by, you know, doing all kinds of wacky shit, then eventually I will just, like, stop forget, like, stop remembering to be sad. And this movie is like, you got to keep remembering to be sad because that's where you can find the happy. And I think that's really, really strong. I think that's so... That, I think that that was probably the coolest part of this movie and honestly maybe the only redeeming quality of it on my watch. <laughs> yeah, big ups to everything you just said. Yeah, I think you just hit the nail on the head, Marcus. Um, as is what has stuck with many people about this movie as like the most poignant message uh, about death and, and loss and grief. Um... So yeah, thank you for re-highlighting that. Um, I think I want to end this talk about uh, The Land Before Time just mentioning Sharptooth as an antagonist or as a sort of force of of nature that the, the protagonists have to deal with. 
And you mentioned a little bit at first, uh, Marcus, that the the sound might be a little wonky for Sharptooth. But what about the rest of y'all? What did you think about um, Sharptooth's role in the story and how uh, he was depicted? I honestly think Sharptooth is one of the weaker parts of this movie in that he gets upstaged not by another character, but simply by the environment, right? He is a less like effective threat than simply the prospect of not finding food in my eyes. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's because, you know, I've been desensitized to a million and one, you know, chase scenes with a big animal behind you in animated movies. And, Oh, look, we're going through the bramble patch. Oh, look, we're going through the tunnel now. Oh, look, he's standing under the cliff now. And, you know, maybe this was like more novel back in 1988, but I just, didn't feel all that threatened by him after Littlefoot's mom died. It's just like, all right, there's the sharp tooth. Time to have our obligatory, you know, there's going to be lots of trumpets blaring and we're going to be running fast. That's kind of it. Like, like to me, it was much more, I was much more afraid for them when they couldn't find food. I was much more afraid for them when they were going to go hungry or like have to like jump their little knobbly legs across the tar pits or what have you. I just, I'm not sure, like, what I would have changed to make Sharptooth better. I just felt like it wasn't the most important part of the movie. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I feel like if you just cut Sharptooth out as, like, a concept and just maybe included more earthquakes or more environmental hazards, that you would probably up the stakes of, like, the journey more than what Sharptooth actually did. Because, like... I don't, like, for me, same deal with Iris. Like, I didn't actually feel like any of the characters were in danger whenever Sharptooth was on screen. It was more like, what are the characters going to be doing now in order to outsmart this very clearly stupid predator that has no ability to catch them anyway in the first place? So, like, that's that's really the only novelty that came through. And, like, even that is not very strong because... They are kids, after all. They don't do too much. They don't. They don't have a complex plan to outsmart the sharp tooth. They just kind of end up <laughs> big rock. Yeah, yeah. You use big rock. Uh, T Rex can't swim because that has short arms or some shit. You know, like that. It makes sense <laughs> to me, right? But like, uh, like yeah. It's just it felt it felt like um, in many ways, ju- having just discussed about how the way that death is portrayed for kids is super good in this movie. If you're trying to put a character that is threatening the main, like the main cast with death, you might want to try and take it a little bit more seriously. So I don't just sit here being like, well, they're not going to die. Like, I guess that's, that's a little bit like unfair of me to say because it's not the same kind of death. It's not the same kind of treatment of that, but it was just so like, it was boring to see the sharp tooth on screen because there was, I knew that nothing was really going to happen. Yeah, I, I think I'm in the same boat. I think it's, Mainly because the threat of Sharptooth, well, obviously in the beginning, uh, the the uh, Littlefoot's mother protecting Littlefoot is part of why I found Sharptooth interesting in the beginning was because, you know, that's part of the reason why she dies. But I think that overall, Marcus is right in the sense that it feels much more appropriate that the environmental effects were the things that are causing all of these issues, aka the Earthshake. Like, honestly, I think that having Sharptooth in the beginning is fine. They mentioned Sharptooth 
in like the you know narration and stuff so i think it's fine but yeah i don't think it was necessary to have him brought back i think that there are you could have the same emotional beats of littlefoot and the gang and sarah coming together without having to go against a sharp tooth rather they could go against other things like they were they did feel or feel or feel more in danger when they were in like fire pits and the tar stuff so mm-hmm. yeah and um i think that is the same conclusion that the writers for the land of before time came to uh after this first movie because every single movie after this i at least i don't think has a predatory antagonist, like a, a meat-eater antagonist. Um, I'll go over a couple of the more environmentally focused uh, names for some of the films on this list that I have right in front of me. Um, we've got The Land Before Time, Journey Through the Mists, The Land Before Time, The Mysterious Island, Land Before Time, The Stone of Cold Fire, The Big Freeze, Journey to Big Water, Invasion of wait that one's that this one is a uh uh predatory one invasion of the tiny sauruses and um journey of the brave so lots of environmental things play before time meteor swarm <laughs> I mean that is you joke Michael that's what the stone of cold fire oh, is shit. what okay. yeah it's like wait so they later do a meteor movie yeah when did that just like one Ice come Age. Out? Oh, that was probably that like came out 90s, in right? that came out in the year two thousand. Yeah, okay, yeah. okay, so twelve years later, and at a time when the asteroid impact theory had gained mainstream appeal, I see land before but time. But that's not the last one, right? They don't all die. No, the last one is the journey of the brave, which honestly sounds like they're all going to heaven. <laughs> land before time. The, the land before time franchise is a metaphor for the passage into the afterlife. I said it. <laughs> land before time. I mean, the great I valley say. could be Elysium. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The great valley is heaven. Right? Obviously, you have to believe in heaven, even though you can't see it during your lifetime. Old Rooter <laughs> is obviously like the earth-based clergy who urge us <laughs> onwards. The loss of Littlefoot's mother was like the loss of Jesus Christ. <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, well, thank you all for listening to our podcast. Hopefully, we didn't trick you too hard of uh, talking about religion, when we are supposed to be talking about dinosaurs, but... Hey, is blame, don't blame us. Blame Don, Don Bluth. Um, but that'll do it for us. And thank you so much for listening. So this week's video that we can watch online is called How Do We Know What Color Dinosaurs Were? Which is an educational video by Ted Ed. So go check that out. They have plenty of great animated shorts uh, that are very educational. And next week... Michael, you are bringing My Neighbor Totoro, which uh, I think will be a trip for all of us. Uh, But please email us at bestseatpodcast at gmail.com if you have a show suggestion or just want to tell us about your own favorite moments and characters. And thank you to Ben from the Real Beasts podcast, a dinosaur podcast, for our intro and outro theme. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and you will hear from us next week. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Thank you. Thanks, everyone.